everybody, and welcome to Sorry I'm All Booked, the podcast by librarians for librarians. I'm your host, Emily Golightly, and today's episode is all about true book fairs, a concept that Julie Stivers is using in her middle school library in the Raleigh, North Carolina area to promote equity for all students. I'm really excited to share our conversation with you today, and I hope it will give you some great ideas and food for thought about how you may implement this or something similar in your own situation. So a quick Google search will produce many articles and pages featuring the Julie Stivers, which if you didn't know about this rock star librarian, she has done so much to further the field of librarianship, focusing on equity, trauma-informed teaching and learning, and providing her middle school students with the type of library that many could only dream of before she was in this role. Her tenacity for creating an engaging and equitable school library is nothing short of inspiring. Julie Stivers is the North Carolina School Library Media Association's School Librarian of the Year, and she's also been named a 2019 Library Journal Mover and Shaker. She's published a book through the American Library Association about inclusion and equity, which I've linked for you in the show notes, and I feel so lucky to be able to have her on our show today. One quote that I came across as I was doing a little research into her library practices was this. She said, I'm not saving my kids because I'm pointing them in the direction of Jason Reynolds and Angie Thomas. I'm not doing these things for them. I'm doing these things with them. She stressed that librarians should be prepared to read the books themselves and do the anti-racist work surrounding the literature. Her passion for student advocacy and equity is what put her on my radar as I was researching book fairs and heard about her concept of the true book fair. She hosts a book fair where everything, and I mean everything, is free for her students. She works all throughout the year to gather enough books and bookmarks and things like that to offer a decent variety and put books in kids' hands without placing the financial burden on students or families, which is just incredible. I'm so pleased to be able to share our conversation with you in the hopes that others will be encouraged to give this practice a try in their own schools and libraries. Hey everybody, I am here tonight with Julie Stivers and I'm really excited to interview her and talk about the true book fairs that she's done with her students. So first of all, Julie, can you just tell me a little bit about your role and how you found your way into the middle school librarian role? Sure. Um, Hey everybody. Um, I am a middle school librarian in Wake County, so um, around Raleigh. Um, How did I find my way to a middle school librarian? I've always been a middle school librarian. This is my eighth year. Um, I felt like middle school was a really good um, fit before. um, There's so many educators that say, oh, middle school, I could never do that. And I feel like middle school, especially, is a time where students need, like, really caring educators. So, I don't know. I was drawn to that age. Well, I I absolutely think it takes a very special person to seek that age group out because not everybody's cut out for it. I've got a 13-year-old and a 16-year-old, so we've navigated that with one, and we're almost done navigating that with another (laughs) And, you know, it's got great things about it, but things that are definitely challenges. So, you know, my hat's off to you. (laughs) It's challenging when you think about it. We have just three years to take a student from elementary school to high school. 
That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy because I'm, yeah. I'm in elementary land. So my mind about how their little brains are working and everything is so different. <laughs> um, so what is a true book fair? Because I've read a little bit about this, but some people may not be familiar. And for those that have never heard of this, I just think it's the coolest idea. So I would love for you to dive into exactly what that looks like for you. Sure. Um, I'm going to start with the name first, which is kind of like the end of the story, but I'm going to start with the name first. So it's called True Book Fair because the very first one that I ran, one of my students, his name is Zach, who he is far graduated from high school already. He said, this is the first real book fair I've ever been to. Every other book fair was a book unfair. Um, and so that really stuck with me um, because he had never really been able to buy books at any of his book fairs. So when I started at my school, um, I knew I didn't want to have a traditional book fair. Um, I don't like the traditional book fair model. I've seen how it works from like a parent perspective and when my students were in elementary school, I was like the book fair chairperson, you know, PTA person. Um, and I saw things that were really troubling. So when I became a librarian, I knew I didn't want to have one because um, I think no matter what you think the finances are of families at your school, um, there's always um, pockets of people that you know, might not have money to spend at a fair or students who forget money that day. Um, I just feel like it's a barrier. I feel like a traditional book fair is we're turning our libraries into for-profit like satellite shops for publishers. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew I didn't want to do that. At the same time, I understand that a book fair can do so many exciting things, right? Like it generates excitement in school. Um, it gets more books in the home, which is always really exciting. I the some teachers were asking for a book fair when I started at my school and I knew I didn't want to do one a regular one um and so I worked with it was for the spring and I worked with our um social worker actually and we were getting she had some money for like a family night and I was like okay I want to use that money um so our very <laughs> first one was um it was a family event and so it was a like a small pocket of money. Um, and I went to a, where, a book fair warehouse sale, um, which I love. Um, I hope those come back. Um, they haven't been here post-pandemic, but I hope they come back. And I shopped for my fair. And I set it up like it's a real book fair. You know, I set it up by genres. Um, I don't have any of the kind of like junk, right? Like mm -hmm. the whatever. All the fun pens and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I do have like some, I always try to get some bookmarks and some things that are kind of like tangential to reading um, plus students. Even if I was at a huge school like that, I would just do one grade. I would just okay. do like the same grade every year. So I'd eventually hit every student. Um, so I shop at the warehouse sales. I also, um, you know, when you get this classic catalog and sometimes they'll have a great book for a dollar on the front. Right. I'll get like 10 copies of those. Um, as soon as people in your district know that you're doing it, like some elementary schools, they'll get donations of books that aren't appropriate or that, that aren't a good fit for elementary and they'll send them to me. Um, I get advanced review copies. And when I go to a conference, all of those books, all of the ARCs, I use them at the fair. So that's how I fund it. 
Um, we do have Title I funds, so like the pocket of money that I start with um, to shop at the warehouse sale or to shop. Um, First Book is another um, place that if you are a school that receives Title I funding, you can shop from First Book, which is amazing. Um, I get a lot of books from First Book. They even have um, a book box. So like um, you might get 20 book hardcover books for like $12. So under a dollar a book, you can get them. But I want to point out that I don't just get like books that no one else wants. I'm still trying to curate a collection, right, that reflects my students and their interests. So it really is a year-long hustle. Um, and I recognize that. Um, but I would just want all of us to, like, be thinking about the book fairs that we have and who is being excluded. Well, I, I think that's a great point. You know, I recently just finished a book fair at my school and you're a little bit farther along in the librarian path than I am. This is my third year. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, I have done book fairs traditionally in a uh, fall and spring time capacity because that's really 80% of my funding comes from that. And so, you know, to fund books for 700 plus kids with, you know, $1,000 is, is not going to get very far. And so I think that's where a lot of people struggle with, well, if I don't have a book fair, where am I going to get those funds? You know, that's a tricky thing for me. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Um, and I know this isn't the audience for this. It's like administrators, but our families should not be supporting like our collection development funds, right? Those should be coming yeah. from administration. Our schools should support us so that we don't have to like, um, again, turn our libraries into for-profit shops in order to fund a collection for our students that should be paid with money that our schools get, um, which I know that I'm preaching to the choir, right? I mean, we all know this as librarians um, and I know that is really frustrating. Um, I was lucky that because there had never been a book fair at my school when I started, they didn't have that expectation, but I had a tiny, uh -huh. like the budget I think was $500 a year when I started, which was nothing, right? That's nothing. That's like 20 graphic novels, um, right? I mean, um, so I, um, you know, different, um, you know, every year, right? This is different funding. It's sometimes a different administrator. Um, I've been lucky that I have been funded and I still, I write a lot of donors choose grants. So mm -hmm. in fact, even during the pandemic, I still had a true book there and I did it through donors choose. So. Well, and I think that's a great point too. You know, I'm always looking for grants and, and I am not too proud to beg everybody around for free things. <laughs> like I'm an education. We have to take things wherever we can get it, you know? Right. So, I mean, I, my friends and family are used to seeing me ask for those things on social media and always at the beginning of the year, always having an Amazon wish list, mm -hmm. you know, and, and those are not going to be the deals that you would get from like a first book marketplace or something. Right. But, you know, you catch sales and certain times a year, it's better than others. And um, that's how I get all the books for my Battle of the Books team is through those Amazon books, multiple copies that you, just kind friends and family will fund, you know. Um, so I think we just have to be creative. But it's it's just, you know, so, so challenging to, to want to do things for the kids because I come from a group with, you know, a, a large percentage of free and reduced and um, a lot of challenges financially. And so I know that book fairs can be stressful for some of those kids and families. Um, so there, There's worries that, well, are they spending this money to let their kid go to the book fair and having to cut a corner somewhere else? You know, is that 
like grocery money or gas money or whatever, you know, because some parents are going to try and make it work no matter what, you know, and, and that is heartbreaking to me. It is, Just right? Me. We should never be putting our families in those positions. Yeah. So yeah. the thing about Donors Choose Grants, I've probably done over 35 and they've all been funded by strangers. People mm -hmm. want to help us fund our libraries. So if we do that, then at least it takes the equation out of that we don't have to do book fairs to fund our collection. Right. Yeah. We can find other ways like I did. Um, I highly recommend if you if it fits the makeup of your school to apply for a Laura Bush Foundation grant. I think there's I think there's money out there, but you're exactly right. Right. We have we're asked to wear so many hats and it is extra work finding that grant funding. But then right then we wouldn't be putting families or students in that position. So. so we've talked a little bit, we're kind of jumping all over the place and, and I love fine. it because this is the way my brain works. But mm -hmm. So, um, you know, speaking specifically about some of the funding sources or grants, you mentioned Laura mm -hmm. Bush. Do you have any additional details that you could share with our listeners about the types of things they would have to do to meet that criteria? You know, like, does it have to be a certain demographic or things like that? I know for the Laura Bush Foundation, it definitely, you had to have a certain percentage of free and reduced. Of course, we're always like writing about our students and families in respectful ways. Um, I think sometimes people think it feels like begging and it doesn't feel like that for me at all, um, even though I would for my students, like you <laughs> yeah. were saying. Um, it doesn't. I think Donor's Shoes is a great organization. Um, you know, full transparency. I'm a Donor's Shoes ambassador. I've always been really impressed um, with what they do and it never feels cringy for me, right? I'm just writing, I'm very honest about what we need and what I wanna give my students. Um, and people wanna support it, especially I think this time of year, um, Giving Tuesday, which just passed, I got two, um, two projects funded, um, which was amazing. So I also That's used awesome. it to get class sets Right. When I want to try to get instead of only having um, books that are engaging and reflective of my students in the library, I want that to also happen for them in the classroom. And it can be a lot easier to um, convince a teacher to use uh, like great reflecting, reflective text, graphic novel, manga. If you are like, well, I'll get the class set for you. Yes. Um, it's and books that represent your population, because when you have a bunch of old class sets, you know, a lot of them are a bunch of white kids and, you know, traditional stories that don't really reflect the kids that we have today at all, you know? No, and there are a lot of them. I mean, I don't want to read them. Yeah. Right? They're just they're they're not they're not engaging. They're not fresh. So yeah. I mean, everyone well, I should be reading Jason Reynolds. And if you don't have yeah. a class set of a Jason Reynolds novel, then like, what are you even doing? Yes. <laughs> um, and I think you made a great point, too, when speaking about the grant writing, you know, just in being respectful and sensitive to your audience, because you never know who's going to be reading that. And, you know, yes, some schools and families may be going through challenges, but it's not about the woe is me, but about sharing that narrative because people don't know if you don't put it out there, you know, of just exactly what you need and why you need it, you know. So I think that's a really good point. So you were selected recently as the North Carolina School Library Media Association's Librarian of the Year. Congratulations, by the way. That's amazing. Thank you. I know there's so, so many amazing librarians in North Carolina. Thank you. 
But, you know, really, I do think it's well-deserved because the way you celebrate every kid and you really meet them where they are and you see them and not every person sees these kids. And I think that's so important. So thank you for that. But also, can you tell me what you love most about being a librarian? Because, I, you know, just in my short three years, this has been one of the favorite things I've ever done. And I've worn a lot of different hats in education, but it's just so gratifying. So I want to hear from your perspective, what makes you love this? Yes. Um, so I, even though I just got my MLS eight years ago, like I'm not eight years removed from getting like my BA, right? I'm trying to think of a better way to say like, I'm old. So like, just like you, I feel like I've had a lot of jobs and definitely being a librarian is absolutely the best. Um, what do I love about it? I love being in a spot where you can help every student feel like they fit. Um, they don't have to be a reader, of course. Um, I've said this before, so if anyone has heard this, I apologize in advance, but when I think about my role, it's like threefold. One, I wanna nurture my students' reading lives. I wanna nurture their interests, and how fun is that, right? And then three, I wanna nurture their whole full selves in and through a library program that's an incubator of joy and belonging. Right? And I get yeah. to do that. Plus all of these amazing middle grade and YA books that reflect my students and are so wonderful. I mean, what's better than that? Right. Living the dream, right? <laughs> right. Living the dream, right? To be, um, to, for my focus to be joy and belonging, especially, I mean, it's 2022 and educate, education is hard. It's always been hard, but it feels extra hard um, with pressures on, you know, classroom teachers and librarians and challenges that are coming at us to um, focus hard on joy and representation and access and intellectual freedom. It feels uh, important. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, and yes, yeah, sometimes it's really hard, but it's also really fun. We don't have give grades to students, right? We're not like that part about it. <laughs> we're not sorting them or we shouldn't be sorting them or judging them. Like we're a place to welcome every student. Um, I mean, what's more beautiful than that? Well, and I know, you know, since I've taken on this role, a lot of the teachers at my school will come in and say, it's so different in here. It's not quiet. The kids want to come. They're excited. And and that to me makes me feel like, okay, I don't, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing, but maybe I'm doing something okay because, you know, if they want to be here, that's what I want. That's my number one goal. I want them to want to be in there all the time. Yes. And, I yes. think for you at the middle school level, that's an even greater challenge because they're at this precipice of either they may be lifelong readers or they may never read another book again after they leave their building. And so that to me is a tremendous pressure, but also a really important thing, like you said, because you have that on you to, you know, I want to create people that hopefully will love at least one book really powerfully, if not then a lifetime of books, you know, and yes. I just think that's really a, a huge opportunity. It is. So one last bonus question, because I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I really yeah, appreciate no. chatting with me. I just want to know what are you reading right now and why would you recommend it to others? And this could be school stuff, not school stuff, whatever. Okay. I'm going to say two books. In fact, I have to, just because I have to show you the cover, I'm standing up and grabbing the one book. Um, I read this this weekend, The Life and Crimes of Hoodie Rosen. It is so good. So this is, I would say it's seventh grade and above. It's by Isaac Bloom. It's his debut novel. Um, and it deals with some really like heavy issues of violence and anti-Semitism, um, but coupled with like family and love and hope. But the main character, his voice, he's 
hilarious. He's so <laughs> sarcastic and self-deprecating and cutting and witty. Um, it's just Which kids very, will love. <laughs> it's very funny. And I also like that it's kind of thin. Um, I love like a huge YA fantasy that you can like dive into, like Bloodmarked. It's another recent favorite. Tracy Dion, amazing. But I also like having some more narrow books, almost like a Jackie Woodson book. That's what the, for such yeah. a kind of thin book, it was so deep. There was so much happening there. And then I also read the Bad Bunny graphic novel today at school. Because I oh. want to talk more about Bad Bunny. Um, and it's like, I wish I had the cover to show, not that anyone is looking at this, but um, it's really thin. Um it's like that fame series and it's like a graphic uh -huh. novel of singers. So that's a good one. Oh, awesome. Love that. Um, you know, and I love that you talked about the self-deprecating and everything, because I think that like my son, he's, he's my 13 year old and he loves all that sarcastic and everything. And that's how you draw in some of those boys, you know, a lot of times that are like, eh, why am I going to pick up a book? And it, that really is what draws them in. Cause it's kind of like, you know, the other stuff that they're watching on these little short form films and everything and social media. And it really grabs them in a way that, you know, some of these other books that are, like you said, the old traditional stuff is not going to catch them in the same way. So totally agree. I love that. Um, thank you so much for Thanks giving so me well. some of your time today. And for those of you who would like to follow Julie on social media, I'm linking her info in the show notes so you can see some of the amazing things she's doing. I really appreciate Julie sharing her experience and expertise with all of us, and I'm so excited to make this happen in my own library. So normally at this point in the show, I would answer a listener question or two, but I actually have a question for you all this week, and I would really love to hear your thoughts. What are your feelings on dynamic shelving? If you've never heard this term before, dynamic shelving is just any combination of various strategies intended to shake things up and make your shelves more engaging, appealing, and accessible than static shelving, which is book spines out in a perfect row. You may have heard of traditional shelving as being referred to as static shelving and more of the bookstore style or model being referred to as dynamic shelving. This is a trend that is growing in popularity, but I have mixed emotions about this concept and I would love to hear from you if you have implemented dynamic shelving or if you chose not to make the switch, why did you want to keep it organized in the traditional manner? You can leave me a voice message in the podcast app, or you can send me a message on Twitter at EmilyGoLightly3, or on Facebook at EmilyG143, or on Instagram at EGoLightly. I look forward to hearing more about this concept and why you do or do not choose to utilize it in your library space. I may feature some listener responses in a future podcast episode, so I want to hear it all, good, bad, and otherwise. I appreciate you sharing your expertise so we can create a supportive community that supports all of us as we strive to make our library spaces the best places they can possibly be to serve our communities. up in our next episode, I will be discussing some of the best gifts for bookworms as many of us are in the throes of holiday season shopping and gift giving and you may be trying to find the perfect gift for that bibliophile on your list. 
I appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen and connect with me and help build our community of people who are passionate about books, libraries, and reading. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please email me at emilydgolightly at gmail.com or send me a message on Twitter at emilygolightly3 or Instagram at sorry I'm all booked with Emily G. If you want to help other listeners find this podcast community, please like and subscribe. Follow and tap that notification bell to make sure you never miss an episode. Taking a moment to give the podcast a five-star rating also helps others find our podcast amongst the many other podcasts out there. So I truly appreciate you taking the time to provide your feedback and help others get plugged into our community. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time.